Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, presented by the University of Maryland Sports Business Society. Marco Medunio, and today I'm with NFL SVP of Communications and Public Affairs and also a professor at NYU, John Schwartz. Before joining the NFL in 2019, John spent seven years at NASCAR and got his bachelor's degree in journalism from UMD in 1997. John, thanks for coming on. How are you today? Thanks for having me, Marco. Great. Looking forward to it. So to get started, can you just give a quick job description? What are your responsibilities and what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, so I, I look after strategic communications at the NFL. Uh, I support the commissioner's office on his executive communications, internal communications, um, and also work on our large uh, marketing communications campaigns, ones that reach our fans. So when we go to market, when you see the big uh, Super Bowl campaigns or the ones around NFL draft or what we do in and around our big initiatives like NFL 100, and many of you have may, may have seen NFL votes, um, I partner with our colleagues in marketing to sort of help go to market and use the NFL industry and ecosystem to sort of amplify that message and uh, secure some news coverage and, and use the peso model, which I think we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. So um, just jumping right in, a part of your job is exploring new audiences for the league to capture. So what have been the audience segments that might be underrepresented and that the league is trying to target now and in the future? So I think we're, we're lucky in that we have a, a very diverse fan base to begin with. I think it, this is about, you know, the holy grail for any sports property is to get younger and diverse and do so without alienating your existing older fan base. And I think reaching fans of different demographics where they are, where they're consuming, is important, not just, you know, on their couch or on the go, um, but also in stadium and in channels and in mediums or in media that they're currently consuming. So uh, we had an opportunity with the NFL draft to take it to the next level. It was one of the first, if not the first sports event, you know, after the pandemic hit. If you think about it, it really wasn't a sporting event at all. There wasn't a, a ball thrown or caught. There wasn't, you know, there, you know, there wasn't any, uh, there weren't any touchdowns, but these young men were taking their, taking the stage and taking the step into their professional careers. And, you know, they're doing so as kind of a bummer, albeit remotely. And so, you know, we had a chance with the NFL draft to take a step back and look at how do we help people understand that, you know, th- this is a way to take a break from the news. Americans were experiencing a news overload back in the beginning of the pandemic. They were, um, they were tired, tired of seeing the, as we still are, uh, tired of seeing the numbers climb. And, uh, you know, back in, in the spring, back in April, the draft really became a welcome diversion. We got a chance to go inside people's homes and see, um, you know, uh, a little bit of their personality, whether they were a head coach or a GM or even a prospect uh, enjoying this m- such a special moment with their family. And so, but above and beyond that, we took a look at markets that were where we saw declining ratings the year before for the draft and markets where there was a high density of avid African-American fans, avid Latinx fans. And we went hard after those markets, 41 markets to help them understand, Hey, the draft is on. Here's where to find it. Here's what you're going to see. 
Uh, here's, a, here's how to tune in. Uh, here's a little information about the Draftathon. And oh, by the way, it's really a break from, from some of the depressing news we've been, we've been seeing and reading and watching. And the result was, was incredible. We, we, we ran the largest tune-in initiative uh, in the NFL history. And we had a chance to uh, increase ratings um, in those markets, which were double the ratings growth of all the other markets we measure. So it was nice to see that. It was nice to see more African-Americans tuning in the draft, more Hispanic uh, members of the, the Latinx community. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that was cool uh, that, that, that we're looking forward to is this game, this game in, in January, uh, the, uh, on, on Nickelodeon, which is going to be on a, on a channel. It's consumed by a younger audience. And so we're excited to see what they have in store for us. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned before, not alienating the fans you already have. Is that a problem that you guys run into a lot or how difficult is it to not do that? Well, I think, you, you think about what our fans love, and that's great football. It's high-scoring, close games entering the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, this year we've had a, a record number of games that were in, within one score in the fourth quarter. And I think that's really a testament to the quality of the football. And hats off to our, our football operations people. But also sort of the talent of our players and, and the competitiveness I think the other thing our core fans love are rivalries, right? Not just divisional rivalries, but some historic rivalries. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup you're looking with a player or just, you know, Chicago Green Bay. Um, our fans love that. And so I think I – don't, I don't think we can lose sight of the, the fact that our fans love good football. That's why they tune in for, to our games. And I think we, we've been very fortunate to have fantastic football this year. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned the Nickelodeon game, which is obviously a strategy to reach a much younger audience. Um, there's, I know there's SpongeBob, there's a lot of slime. Um, so how did, how did the planning all come to fruition? How did this all start? Well, you know, it, it starts with having great partners and you know, the NFL is blessed with having tremendous media partners. Um, that work with us to figure out ways to expand and grow the audience and bring in new fans. And I think the, the objective when you have a partnership with a network, ABC, Fox, NBC, CBS, is to get more people to tune in. And, you know, with, with, with Viacom, you know, we had a chance to do that, you know, in, in the planning phase with Nickelodeon, where it's, you know, where are kids watching consuming content they're consuming and watching content on um on nickelodeon as an example um they're doing so through social media uh they're doing so through video games and the idea i think behind this is a continuation of the strategy how do, how do you reach young people where they're consuming and you know a couple of years ago we saw the first integration with Fortnite where you were I know my boys had a chance to buy all the skins <laughs> buy up a bunch of skins and I think you know when you're looking at some of the other similar partners we've done done something with Fortnite and and Rocket League and and some of the other gaming Madden etc that's reaching the kids where they are and I think that's really important um, I think also you have to think about it in the context of you know for your fellow students you know 
one day the, um, the, the people watching this podcast will be in a job potentially in, in the sports industry and they will be likely working with three to four other generations, right? You know, four or five generations right now are in the workplace from traditionalists, uh, the silent generation, to baby boomers, to Gen Xers like myself, um, to millennials and Gen Z, and maybe even the generation after that. And so, you know, all those generations comprise our fan base plus kids. And I think you have to figure out ways to bridge the gap and reach them where they're consuming. And I think that goes for the workplace too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you hear from somebody uh, or when, you, when, you, when you're in a work environment, you, know, you can be in an environment, you know, a baby boomer can be sitting right next to a Gen Z or straight out of school. And I think each can learn a lot from one another mm-hmm. in a big way. And I think, you know, that's probably where the idea was germinated from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. I'd, I'd personally love to see more NFL games on non-conventional channels. Maybe uh, maybe have a game on MTV with a 90s boy band playing at halftime or Comedy <laughs> Central, have Dave Chappelle giving uncensored commentary. What do you say about more uh, more NFL on, not on Fox or the usual channels? <laughs> they say good ideas can come from anywhere. Anything's possible. So, so you mentioned the draft before, and I want to get back to that. Um, how difficult was it to replicate a normal draft experience for the players and the fans watching? And did you, were you able to take anything away from the draft that you're now maybe going to use in future drafts, even after we're back to normal? I, I think it, it was incredibly complex. It was a, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary tech, technological feat and hats off go to our chief technology officer, Michelle McKenna and, and Peter O'Reilly who runs all of our events and, and, and the commissioner himself who, who really had the vision for moving forward with the draft at a time where I think people were a little critical of, of, of sports moving forward. I mean, I take rewind a few weeks before the draft, maybe a month or a half or so it was free agency. And, and this is quite literally one step removed from the draft. It's quite literally teams, you know, signing players and moving players and, nobody had to leave a single office yet. There was so much criticism around how could you move forward to free agency? Well, here comes the draft where there are people gathering, you know, families gathering around uh, a, a, you know, a college student who is about to become pro. And so it was extremely complex to get cameras inside the homes of coaches and general managers inside the homes of the prospects uh, and it was a technological marvel, marvel and, and, and working with ESPN and ABC, they did a phenomenal job really curating a, a, a telecast that was just really compelling. And it was really interesting, you know, a handful of us were, had the opportunity to be behind the scenes and, and work and be zoomed in for about 16 hours a day to the commissioner's basement. And I can tell you, he was so engaged and uh, he went with it and he had an opportunity to uh, showcase a part of his personality and a part of his home. The, well, he called it his man cave, which became the most famous basement in America. And it was just, it was, it was, um, it was an example, a shining example, I think, of where the world is going. And we figured out, I think, the takeaway and your second part of the question was, what's the takeaway? What would, how will this influence the future? I think it's going to have a massive influence on the future. But the pandemic is having a massive influence on how we do business, period. And we showed we could do the draft remotely. 
and we took those learnings and we showed that you can do, there's lots of things we could do. There was a remote uh, trade part of training camp was remote guys were working out at home and they were on a program at home and the learnings from the draft were applied to training camp. So I think it's going to affect everything we do, not just in our business, but across sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, looking forward to that. Um, so now on a more serious note, it's hard to watch the NFL this season and not see the messages and actions to stand up against racial injustices in our country. And I think a lot of people look at the NFL when it comes to those issues, ever since Kaepernick became a face for peaceful protest against um, those injustices. So at that time, the league kind of avoided taking sides when it came to issues outside of football. So how important is it uh, now for the league to have a clear and consistent message on those issues that are so important in our country, but maybe don't have anything to do with the game itself. So it's incredibly important. And I think, you know, we are in an era of active listening. I think that's a term that a lot of people like to use. And that's not to suggest that there wasn't active listening happening in the past. I think though that that needs to be complemented by listening and responding. And I think that as we moved past, as we moved through, and as we learned and listened from 2016 through present day, it informed a lot of action based on what we heard directly from the players and the Players Coalition and, and all of the people that were outspoken about some of these racial and social injustices that were plaguing our society. And out of that came, sure, there was lots of money that was given, but I think the most important thing was the action. And Inspired Change was a campaign that was born out of that, uh, that area, era of active listening, but also listening and responding. What do our communities need? What are the underserved populations? What are the issues facing the communities that where we live and work and where our players live and work and where they grew up and where they currently live? And so I think that piece of it sometimes gets lost about what, what is it actually that is being done actively uh, as a result of the, the movement and, and the conversation. And I think the conversation has very quickly, probably more quickly over the past two years, moved from a conversation to action. And that part has been, has been very, very cool to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And you also worked at NASCAR, which is a league that is overcoming some historical ignorance when it comes to these issues. Uh, Bubba Wallace kind of became a face for that movement in NASCAR, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, I think he really became a symbol of unity and how he and his peers responded in the wake of uh, what was a, a very difficult time and, and a difficult incident in the garage in Talladega last year and where there was a noose that was hung in his garage. And, you know, it, it was, whether it was alleged or not, it was a, it was a symbol of some of the hatred that still exists in this country. And I think for people who know NASCAR, um, you know, this is, this was not indicative of, of, of anyone within the sport or anyone in, in the fan base. And I, I, I enjoyed, it really was rewarding to see the outrage, um, you know, not because I like conflict or, or that, that this was a good thing, it was just the response was just so inspiring. Uh, the image of Bubba walking down pit road, flanked by all of his peers, um, the fans cheering him on, uh, voice of Steve Phelps, president of NASCAR, framing that moment with, with a very powerful statement. Um, 
And then the subsequent removal of the Confederate flag, uh, the ban of Confederate flags from, from, from anywhere and everywhere. Um, you know, that, that was pretty inspiring. And I think it opened up uh, a lot of opportunity for NASCAR. And, and, it, and it knocked down a bunch of, bunch of doors. Um, you know, I think people don't remember, but, you know, in the ensuing days um, or ensuing months, um, Michael Jordan became a primary owner in the sport. And I, th I don't think that would have happened had it not been for NASCAR's handling uh, of some really complex and difficult issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the response was definitely cool to see in NASCAR. Um, I think nowadays having no stance in its uh, – and having no stance is a stance in itself. So I'm happy to see the leagues are taking more action and, you know, not being quiet about these issues. Agreed. So, so aside from your day job, you also volunteer as chairman of the board for the American Special Hockey Association, giving people with intellectual and developmental disabilities um, the opportunity to play organized sports. So I was wondering what inspired you to get so involved with this program and help out these disabled athletes? Uh, well, I met a mom who had a, had a son with autism and he was rejected from every organized sporting event that he could possibly, she and he could possibly think of participating in. And, you know, I thought back to that first moment for those watching this broadcast, and uh, this podcast, I should say, wow, uh, Gen Z, uh, Gen, Gen X, fully exposed here. Sorry. Uh, for those watching the podcast, you may remember that first moment when you got a sports jersey, right? That you were a member of a team. Uh, and you, it, it really became immediately sort of part of your identity. You were a soccer player, you were a basketball player, you were a field hockey player, whatever it may be. Um, and it sort of became part of you proudly. Maybe you wore it to school or you wore it out. And you know, I remember that, that moment for me. And so many people with intellectual and development dis disabilities don't have that opportunity to have that moment and be part of something bigger. And so what, what started out, I started out um, as, as helping to organize a program with, with that mom. Uh, we started with five kids and it quickly grew to 10 times the size. Uh, the, we were the first program in New Jersey, and uh, and it became a number of them blossomed up uh, across the state. And then I got involved in in the American Special Hockey Association, and ultimately became chairman. And we're now in a, 110 U.S. cities. And I think that's a testament to one the need, right? I think the people who have have uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities have little opportunity for. Um, socialization and physical fitness. And I believe that this gives children and adults with, um, it, it really gives them a sense of community. Um, what's interesting, um, you know, you think about the brand of the sport. I don't think, I can't think of any environment where, you know, a five or six year old would be on the same playing surface as someone who's in their thirties or forties. Um, huge age different, huge weight different, huge level of skill difference, huge level of difference in uh, the degree of disability, yet that we, we somehow try to make it work, you know, whether it's breaking uh, people up into groups or um, figuring out how to use equipment to, to get people moving. Um, but it, it's a really, it's something that's really special and close to my heart. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have over 5,000 uh, players across the nation. I couldn't be more honored and humbled to be, to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And I know you're, you're super busy with the NFL and NYU. So it's, it's really awesome that you take the time out of your day to help out these disabled athletes. 
I think, you know, I, I think it's just, it's part of, I think everybody should, has an opportunity to give back and, and, and do it, but do, it doesn't need to be a chore. It should be through the lens of something you love. I, I had a chance to play, um, play hockey at the University of Maryland and uh, was proud, a proud Terp and I was on the ice and that experience, um, you know, started my, helped start my career, not just in sports, but in, in coaching and, um, and, and really helped pave the way for me to find my passion and giving back. And so whatever you do, if you, if you have an opportunity to follow your passion, you also find other ways to give back in the process. Right. So, um, so now what we do at the end of our episodes is a segment called the Maryland Minute, where we're going to learn a little bit about John Schwartz, the Turk. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. So to start off, our favorite question to ask guests, uh, what's your favorite restaurant in the College Park area? Mm, well, I don't know if it's still there, um, but it used to be an establishment called Bentley's. It's still there. Some great wings. I don't think Bentley's is ever leaving. <laughs> Bentley's then. Okay. Not Cornerstone? What, what's your take? Bentley's over Cornerstone? I go Bentley's. Okay. Um, when it comes to conferences, are you more of a fan of Maryland being in the Big Ten or the ACC? I'm going to say Big Ten because that's where they are, and, and they're, they're, doing, they're doing well, and, and they've got some great leadership, and they've got some compelling student athletes. And um, I'm, I'm going to say Big Ten. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of Maryland yet when they were in the ACC. So it's interesting to hear from people who who saw both sides. I never got to experience a Maryland Duke rivalry. I'm still hoping they uh, get that matchup in soon. Well, it's funny. I I, I like to see some of the Big Ten matchups, and uh, I like to see. Uh, I got a chance to watch uh, the Terps play at Rutgers. Uh, uh, well, uh, w- I've got some some friends uh, who are members of the coaching staff and. Uh, it was pretty cool to see them play in my home state. So um, I've always, I'll, I'll always be, be pulling for the Terps, but uh, uh, the big, them being the Big Ten allowed me to watch them in person. Cool. So um, who is your favorite Maryland athlete to watch play of all time? Wow, that's a good question. Um, whew, I, I, I guess I, I really enjoyed watching Boomer play. Um, I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but – um, you know, and, and, and not just really watch him play, but also sort of see how he's taken steps to improve his community and how he's been a great ambassador, um, not just of Maryland, but of the NFL, uh, of CBS and of his foundation. Um, and I just, I just, I think being an athlete is more about how and when and where they play. It's about how they carry themselves both on and off the field. So. I'd say Boomer. Mm-hmm. It's a good answer. Um, I know you were the captain of Maryland hockey team, so I'm sure you have a lot of memorable moments from that. But is there a particular moment from your time being a student that you would say is your favorite? Yeah, I I, I do. I was I was one of one of the captains uh, uh, of Maryland. The hockey experience was was amazing. Um, what I'd say is the, the big moment for me was just understanding. There's, some, there's something about the student experience at Maryland that's more than just about being in a classroom or being on, on campus or being interfacing with, you know, the diversity of the student body. I think it's, it's more, it's about certainly getting involved in clubs and, and getting involved in, in, in sports and athletics. Um, 
but also some of the peer learning that takes place. And I will never forget a moment that I had at Maryland. Um, I signed up to be, well, I was hired by the Diamondback to be a sports writer. And I handed in my first story. It was about one of the, one of the football players. And uh, I handed it in. And my editor at the time was, was a guy named Chad Capelman. And Chad looked at the story. He read it right in front of me. He handed it back to me with $15. Now, that's what I got for, that's what they were paying a sports writer, $15 a story. And I said, well, why do you, why'd you hand it back to me? He said, I, I can't, I can't publish this. I said, what do you mean? He's like, it's garbage. <laughs> I, and now listen, I, I'm good with constructive criticism, but man, that was harsh. And I, you know, I turned around, walked away. I was very dejected. And, and he went back to his working and I turned around and I said, help me here. I, w w give me something. And he said, he sighed and he said, all right. And he, 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 he pulled up a chair. I'll never forget this. He pulled up a chair and over his, over his shoulder, I watched him edit my story and it hurt. I, I mean, he was ripping it apart. It was like a red pen all over the place. Um, but he really showed me in a half hour how to structure a, a news story and really how to be really super concise and powerful with the least amount of words possible. And in that moment, I felt like I learned how to write. I didn't learn it from a professor. Um, I didn't learn it um, uh, doing an assignment or writing a paper. This was a peer and he didn't have to do that. And I think all of that sort of amounts to sort of the, the student experience in Maryland. It's more than just going to school or playing sports or being in clubs. It's about that. It's about peer learning. It's about um, you know, being exposed to people who have different backgrounds. And that, that for me was the big aha moment at the University of Maryland. Mm -hmm. And it's cool that you got the $15 too, even though they didn't take I it. I did get the $15 and they assigned me another story, thankfully. So, <laughs> so um, lastly, what's just, uh, one piece of advice that you would give to a student right now who wants to go into sports? I, I would say get involved. Don't waste a minute of your time at the University of Maryland, um, not taking, not spending every day taking one step towards your goal. Uh, you know, nowadays, you know, back, back when I was going to school uh, in College Park, it was like, if you had an internship on your resume, that was really, really good. I had two. I interned for the Washington Capitals and the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was great. Um, I ended up leaving school early uh, for a job in, in minor league hockey. I slowly finished my degree up and graduated from the University of Maryland. Um, but nowadays, students have three, four, five internships, part-time paid apprenticeships. I mean, this is great. I would say the moment you arrive on campus, you're taking steps to that goal. And if you want to go in sports, there are many things you can do to parlay that into sports, right? You can do it through accounting and finance. You could do it through the business school. You can do it through learning another language. I mean, think about how marketable you may be if you have Spanish as a second language or French or, or Italian. Uh, immediately, those things can set you up. And it's got nothing to do with sports. It's about capabilities. If you're an engineer, um, it's about getting stronger in a particular area and finding the intersection between that area and sports. And really, you think about you're writing, a, you think about that same story I had a chance to sort of write at the Diamondback. 
you're constructing your own story. And if every day you can sit and think about, did I take a step towards making that story make sense today? Um, then, then, then getting a job in sports will come. All right. That's, that's it for today. John, thank you for coming on. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the Locker Room Podcast and follow the Sports Business Society on Instagram at SBS underscore UMD. Uh, John, thanks again. I, I can't wait to watch the NFL playoffs. Thanks, Marco. Enjoy.